Good morning, everybody. It is Sunday, and we are talking about Matthew 14 today. And in this section, Jesus is, um, this is right in the middle. This is the middle of Jesus doing everything that he's doing. He has been teaching. He has been healing. He has called his disciples. He sent out his disciples. And today, Matthew gives us, he starts off with a little, um, like, a, like a flashback, like a side story of something else that's going on at the same time. And, uh, and it starts with Herod. Herod the Tetrarch hears about Jesus. And he hears about Jesus and he thinks, this is John the Baptist back from the dead. And so Matthew has to explain how John the Baptist died and what, what that's all about. Herod the Tetrarch says to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. And then it explains how John the Baptist was killed. And um, I just want to sum it up a little bit uh, of just how evil this whole scenario was and, and how it messed up. Um, John had been preaching about Herod the Tetrarch that he had done what he had done was unlawful so his Herod the Tetrarch's wife was his wife and Philip Herod Philip had a wife named Herodias and Philip Herod Philip who's the brother of Herod the Tetrarch um, Herodias saw that Herod the Tetrarch was going to become a more powerful king. And she wanted to be a queen to a powerful king, not Philip Herod. And so she seduces Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch divorces his wife and casts her off, sends her away, and basically joins with Herodias, who is still married to Philip Herod. And so then they go to Rome, where Philip Herod is, and he kills Philip Herod, his brother, and then takes his brother's wife. So why is this so messed up? I mean, it's obvious why it's so messed up. But why is it really messed up that John the Baptist would even care? So Herod the Tetrarch was claiming that he was Jewish because of the wife that he married. He married a Jewish woman. And that made him Jewish. So that could make him king over the Jewish people, the king of the Jews. Um, the Jewish woman that he married was that first lady that he sent off and divorced and cast away. And so any claim that he had to being Jewish um, was extremely loose, right? Because the the lady that he married just to become Jewish, he cast away. So then, so he divorces her. Um, whether that was a breaking of the law or not is different rabbis had different decisions about divorce. Remember that about if you burn, if your wife burns your breakfast, you can divorce her. So all that, all that business. Uh, that's what some of the rabbis taught in that time. So then he kills his brother. So that's murder. And under Jewish law, if your brother died childless, then you would redeem your brother by having children and they would carry on his name. And so any your, your first child 
your first child by your brother's wife would carry on your brother's name, not yours. And so he's, Herod the Tetrarch is trying to use some of these laws to claim that he's being so Jewish and so kind and so obeying the law by taking his brother's wife, but he killed his brother. So it's just really messed up. Um, all of that to say, this is all, if you want to read the historian Josephus, um, you can find this in a couple commentaries where they talk about Josephus recounting all of this. All the Jewish people knew he was evil. They knew he was evil and they knew that this was all messed up and wrong. Um, but some, some religious leaders defended him because he was obeying the law and being really religious. Um, it's a classic case of the intent. He was following the letter of the law but not the intent of the law and kind of picking and choosing which laws he was going to obey. I've said this before. Legalism is always self-serving. Like whenever somebody is trying to be righteous because of what they do and because the rules they follow, they're always going to pick and choose to their own benefit. Uh, they're always going to pick. If, if your works make you righteous, people are always going to pick the works they want to do that make them righteous and overlook the laws that would not make them righteous. Salvation is by grace, through faith, not of yourselves. Otherwise... And nobody can boast. See, that's why God saved us by His grace. None of us can boast. Anyway, just did a whole Romans and Ephesians there for you. Herod is in the thick of this. And he's evil. And all of that comes out even more. He added on to that. He did an even more evil thing by beheading John the Baptist. And so he plays all of that out. Matthew explains all of that. Uh, this is Matthew 14:6. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. Uh, so we don't know if this is his own daughter, right? Through Herodias and him. In which case, if it was, uh, if it was his firstborn, it should carry the name of his brother. Or if this was a daughter that's really his niece his niece, stepdaughter, um, that was a daughter by his brother, right? Where, can you see how much this gets messed up? She dances. They all love it. Uh, he says, I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom. Herodias, this lady that wanted to be the king, the queen to the most powerful king and turn brothers against each other and all that business, she manipulates him some more and says, give me the head of John the Baptist. So, I don't want to blame it all on Herodias, like she is evil and these guys were helpless. But I also don't want to put all the credit on them, on those guys, on the king here, Herod the Tetrarch. Because... He listened to John the Baptist, and he went to go hear him while he was imprisoned, while John the Baptist was imprisoned by him. But he was afraid to kill him. Now that Herodias demands his death, he has this passive excuse to kill him. And so um, he can kill this guy that's been preaching against him. He could blame it on Herodias and be like, hey, I had to keep my vow. I had to keep... I had to keep it. Or he could say, 
you know what, I'm the king and John the Baptist is worth more than half my kingdom because he's so wise, we're not going to kill him. You're not going to get that. But he didn't do it. He took the advantage. He, he just saw the opportunity. Okay, we'll kill John the Baptist now. And um, it's just really, it's really telling because you, you can catch yourself doing this, right? Where uh, there's something that you think is a religious rule that you need to uphold. We need to do this. And in doing it, you hurt people, right? Um, I, you know, I need to give 10% of my income to the church, and so I'm going to do it. And um, it, in your heart, it makes you not generous because you're doing your duty. You're fulfilling the, the religious law, right? Um, you know, I can't, I can't be friends with that person because they're a sinner and they openly sin. And that would not be holy of me to do. And so you exclude somebody. Um, that's that's what this whole thing is the same as, is where people are trying to justify themselves by following some religious law, but really hurting people in God's image, made in God's image. So Jesus hears about this, and he withdrew in a boat to a desolate place by himself. So sometimes we hear about Jesus going up on the mountaintop by himself and he goes into the garden to pray by himself. He withdraws to lonely places. This is one of the places where he goes off in a boat all by himself. This is kind of cool. Um, you know, you're, we're always picturing Jesus you know, poor, homeless, and all of that. He knew somebody that could loan him a boat and that he could go out in it by himself and go pray. That's I, I don't know. I like that. I, I, I like that little detail of that. Um, it also just reinforces how important it is that we have some alone time to pray. That we have a space that we can get by ourselves in quiet and not be disturbed by the radio or Facebook or our phone or by our neighbors and, um, and just just have that. It's a really good, awesome exercise. Have a five-minute prayer time. Set a timer and uh, set a timer for five minutes and just say, I'm going to sit quiet for five minutes and I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to worship Jesus and praise him and I'm not going to go check my mail. I'm not going to glance at the paper. Uh, I'm not going to check the TV. Five minutes of dedicated silence, just listening to God and praising God and uh, it'll, it'll change your life. It really will. So Jesus did it. It was good enough for Jesus. Went off in a boat to a desolate place. <clears throat> the crowds found him. And they went and they tracked him down. And they joined him. And he comes ashore and there they all are. He has compassion on them. Heals the sick. They're basically there all day long. The disciples catch up to him. They find him. And they say, Jesus... We're out in the middle of nowhere. Send these people home so they can get some food. Send them off into the neighboring villages so they can go get some food for themselves. And Jesus says, they don't have to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we only have five loaves and two fish. Okay, so whatever, you, whatever your Sunday school graphic is, and whatever you picture in your head, um, whatever you've seen in the movies with these big raw fish, these would have been like sardines. 
these would have been two little bitty tiny they don't have refrigerators right um, they're not putting stuff in cans in a little tin can that you can peel open these would be uh, kind of like beef jerky versions of fish if you can imagine that uh, they they would they would catch these little fish they would salt them up and season them a whole lot and then they'd sit them out in the sun to dry and so they they could be you know you could put it in your bag you could put it in your pocket you could you could carry it with you wrapped up in cloth and it wouldn't go bad and that's what they're eating um, so it's not like salmon um, it's not like they're out there eating raw you know sushi eating salmon like bears on the side of it um, they just have and then the bread, oh, the bread is good. Um, there's a, another one of the Gospels, another time this happens, it's barley bread. And this is the cheapest, poorest excuse for bread. This is um, probably kind of like a focaccia, or not, not as thin as a tortilla, maybe like a pita, maybe a little bit thicker than a pita. And these were just flatbreads, maybe like a pancake. Yeah, but not... As yummy no sugar and no vanilla and no whipped cream or blueberries um, kind of like a pita and so these are flatbreads and this is just the cheapest bread you could get to get by as a little snack you know this is this is like when McDonald's had their 59 cent hamburgers this is just the cheapest poorest excuse for food you can get and that's all they have five loaves five flats and two sardines. What I appreciate about about that detail is from here on, I mean, Jesus says, bring him here to me. He has everybody sit down. He gives thanks. He breaks the loaves and passes out the bread and passes out the fish. And all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were 5,000 men. And then besides that were all their women and children. From here on, whenever the disciples are tired or weak or worn down, they just don't have the power to get through the day. They just don't have, oh, Jesus, I just can't do this. They're going to look back on what little they had that day. That they had two sardines and five pitas. And they fed 5,000 men and all their families. And how just that little bitty bit. And, and they were all satisfied. Okay. I don't care how many sardines you give me. I'm not going to be satisfied. <laughs> right pitas pitas and sardines are not going to make me like come home for thanksgiving and be like wow that was just real that was the best thanksgiving ever but they all ate and they were all satisfied and from then on the disciples are going to be able to look back on that day and be like jesus satisfies everybody that that takes him in. Everybody that goes to Jesus gets satisfied. Even if all we have to offer is sardines and pitas, they, Jesus will take care of them. Jesus will fill them. And that's the same for us. We have that same hope. I don't know how often I, I just think how little I have to offer and uh, what, 
what could I possibly contribute or enhance or add to this situation or this conversation or, or this sermon? What, what possible fruit could it bear? And, and I, I show up with my sardines and my pitas and Jesus does something with it. He does something and he, he makes it grow and he satisfies people. Um, just goes to show the disciples weren't the ones that satisfied the people. The sardines and the pitas weren't. It was Jesus. And and everybody that comes to him will be will be fully satisfied just like that. Just like they were. So he's been off praying alone. Right? He uh, heals all these people and teaches them. And they need to go home because it's night time. They need to go get some food. And we don't even know that Jesus taught them anymore. They all just ate and then went They still went home. But Jesus, you know, sends them home completely fulfilled. All right. They don't, they don't have to go home and worry about dinner, basically. Um, there's a lot more to that, just, to, just practically and in reality, but in also just the beauty, the beauty of Jesus caring for them. He went up on the, a, a mountain by himself to pray. He sends the disciples. The disciples go get in the boats, and you guys go across the lake, and I'm going to dismiss the crowds. Everybody go home. You guys go on across the lake. I'm going to go up here and be alone and pray some more. He's still working through John the Baptist being dead. Uh, he's still thinking about that. He's still praying and and you know what, what are we doing here? He's still getting hit with the reality that he himself is also going to die. He's read the prophecies. He knows that he himself is going to die. And now that Herod killed John the Baptist, how, how does he know this isn't it? That they're out looking for him. He doesn't know. So it's just the reality of it hits. The boat goes all night long. The disciples are crossing the lake. It's about 10 miles. And um, Jesus, there's another one of the Gospels that says that he's up on the mountain watching them. And he can see them all night struggling. There's this storm and, and it's just, there's waves and the wind is against them. And it's just a terrible night for these guys. And all they had for dinner was sardines and pitas. No, they were good. And the fourth watch, this is Matthew 14, 25. The fourth watch of the night. So there were only four watches during the night. There wasn't, the fourth watch ended when the sun came up. So this is almost dawn. They had been going all night long. Fourth watch of the night, he catches up with them walking on the sea. The disciples see him walking on the sea. They were terrified. They said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. One of the gospels says that he looked like he was just going to walk on past him and like beat him to the beat him to the other side, like he wasn't going to stop. And uh, this is so awesome, you know. Um, in in the minds of first century Jewish people, the sea. Not a lot of people learned how to swim. The Red Cross didn't exist. Uh, swimming lessons weren't a thing. And a lot of people drowned. A lot of people died. And the, you know, in this whole concept of a three-tier worldview, where there's the heavens, where God is, there's earth, where we are, and then there's down below, where all the dead people go, um, a big, deep lake is, 
is that much, you know, where does it stop? Well, it stops at hell, right? The bottom of this lake is where all the dead people are. And so there's a lot of fear and a lot of superstition um, surrounding the lake, this or the sea. I mean, it's a really big lake, right? And so, um, so when they see Jesus walking across it, they're already afraid because all the dead people are down there. And there's this guy out there walking on the water. It's got to be a ghost. It's got to be some of the dead walking around out here. And so they're afraid. And they're afraid anyway because they're, they're afraid they're going to drown because there's a storm and waves and wind and all that. And they cry out in fear. And Jesus shouts to them, Don't be afraid. It's me. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. So a disciple is called by their rabbi because the rabbi wants to train the disciple to do everything that the rabbi does. And so Peter, if if you're really my rabbi, Call me to come out there and walk with you, and I'll be able to do the same thing you're doing. You, you can teach me how to do this. Peter wants to learn everything about Jesus. He wants to do everything that Jesus does. And, uh, and he does. And he does it. And Jesus calls him out there. And it's so hard to not have every cheesy movie image of this in your head because nobody knows what this looked like you know um, if there are waves is Jesus constantly going up and down and just standing on that is he stepping over the waves when they come we we just can't even imagine what this looks like or what it would have been like um, are, are Peter's feet getting wet on the bottom like your feet get dirty when you walk on dirt right uh, so Peter goes out there and he walks. And this just shows, you know, Jesus is the Lord over sin. He has the power to forgive sin. He has the power to heal a paralyzed person. He has the power to raise people from the dead. And that's all people. And now all of a sudden, he's the Lord over nature. That even the natural world there's nothing more out of control than nature right and he can walk on water he's defying gravity and physics and and all of that he's the lord of that peter gets distracted he says matthew 14:30 when he saw the wind he was afraid he began to sink and he cried out lord save me jesus immediately reached out his hand took hold of him saying you of little faith why did you doubt then they get in the boat and the wind ceases. So Jesus identifies Peter looking at the wind and the waves, being afraid and sinking as doubt. He didn't believe it. He didn't believe that he could walk on water or he didn't believe that Jesus would save him because he shouted out, Lord, save me. Maybe he didn't believe that Jesus was already saving him or that Jesus had already saved him, right? And that pulling him up is just like when Jesus healed that paralyzed guy. You know, I'm going to show you what's easier for me to do. 
to save your soul from hell, which is down below, or to pull you up out of this water? Just so you'll know that I have the power to do both, let me pull you up out of the water, Peter. Right? It's the same thing. It's this exact same scenario. Jesus is showing he's got the power over hell. He's got the power over death. He's got power over misery and fear and loss. Jesus has that power and he just pulls Peter up. They get in the boat. The whole storm's over and they come on the shore. And then those in the boat worshipped him saying, Truly you are the Son of God. You, yeah. Okay, so God created everything and we just thought you could heal people, but now you have power over everything. And not just death, but um, basically that, that lake is like hell to them. It's like a big open door to hell. And Jesus has power over that. He can just close that door so nobody goes in. He, he shut it up so Peter wouldn't sink. Peter not sinking is to all of them, we don't even have to be afraid of being on this lake because hell's below it. We don't even have to be afraid of hell. It's awesome. So Jesus does that. It's, it's, it, I, I love how it's so much like him forgiving that guy's sin and healing the paralytic. It's Which one's easier? Well, they're both easy for me. I'm the son of God. And what's easier, to shut up hell or to walk on water? Uh, they're both easy. I'll do them both just to show you guys. And, um, and as we believe in him, he rescues us and he saves us. And I don't think, I don't think this was a rebuke. I don't think it was a you of little faith. You faithless. Um, I, I, think, I think it was a just imagine you guys once you have more faith. Just imagine you guys when you believe fully um, how you're going to do. And then finally, they land on the shore on the other side. All the men of that place come out and recognize him, it says. Recognize him. What's really cool, some people, and I like, I like this interpretation, I like this theory. Remember when Jesus went and cast the demons out of the, that guy and all the pigs jumped off the cliff and they said, get away from here? And that guy was told, go into the Decapolis, go into the cities and say what has happened. He did his job. Because now when Jesus shows up in the Decapolis, in that area, all the men of that place recognized him. They sent around to all the region, brought to him all who were sick, and implored him that they would only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many who had touched it were made well. It's the whole, we're not worthy, we're not worthy to be healed. Can we just, can we just touch your clothes? Can we just touch the, the hem of your garments. The same thing that lady, you know, fulfilling that prophecy that in by his the hems of his garments we will be healed. And um, the lady that was bleeding for 12 years and she said, if I could just if I could just touch it, he's the Messiah. If I could just get close enough. And so they did that here too. And so now all of a sudden you see the fruit of this one guy. He had no message except I was possessed by demons, and now I'm free. And this guy named Jesus did it. That was his only message. That was all he knew of Jesus. And um, all who, all in the region, the whole, ten, the whole ten city area, 
came and they they begged for his healing. So Jesus, he is doing stuff. He is active and he's teaching the disciples and he's teaching you and me about faith in him and about his authority, about his goodness and his grace and his mercy toward us. And all of this is active, active, active. Take your time when you can to get alone and pray. And then, boom, right back in it, active again. So I hope this blesses you and you have a great week. God bless you.